my name is Dan. If we haven't met before, it's nice to be with you all. It's nice to be gathered together. And I just want to add my welcome to Alicia's, welcome to Central Vineyard, welcome to our gathering today. Um, we've been doing a series for June and July called A Flourishing Life. And today we are going to be finishing that series, going to be landing it. So today is part seven, and part seven is entitled uh, Going On From Here. How do we go on with uh, what we've just been talk- talking about for two months? And uh, if you're here for the first time today, don't worry. I hope there's still something in here that's good to take away. But if you've been on the journey with us for a few months now, how do we keep walking it? So firstly, what might be helpful as we begin is a quick summary of what we have covered in this series. What is it that we've actually been exploring together? What's been the big idea? Well, the big idea has been this. A flourishing life is God's best version of our life that he has for us. A flourishing life is God's best version of you that he has already put in you, already sees in you, and already calls you to. It's there. And it's about acknowledging that God is in control, God has made, God has named, God has called, God is doing the work of making all things new. And this life is knowable. It's knowable because it's the one that Jesus promised. Jesus came to bring life, a life that is abundant and a life that is full of goodness. It's a, it's a life that reaches into all areas. And we've spoken about some specific pieces in this series. We've talked about our spirit. We've talked about our mind. We've talked about our time. We've talked about our relationships. We've talked about our experiences, some of the pieces that make up a life. Not all of them, but some of them. And each week we have been trying to hold up a, a hopeful portrait. A hopeful portrait of what we can look at and consider together. What is it when we think about a flourishing life? Well, hopefully your mind is a little more full than when we began this journey. We've spoken about how the best thing for our spirit is that it could be in flow with God's spirit like being in the flow of living water. Do you remember that one? It was a few weeks ago now. We've talked about how our minds need to be renewed from the scripts that they have been formed in with culture. We've talked about how our time can be redeemed when we place it into the bigger work of the Alpha and the Omega, the holder of time. We've talked about how our relationships can be deep relationships. We can have deep relationships, not just surface level ones. And we can become more known in deeper ways to other people. We've talked about how our adversities and our problems can be a space, if not even the greatest space, to transform our character and to grow in hope. So to summarize it down into one slide, this is what we've tried to say for the last nearly two months. Your spirit can flow with God's. Your mind can be set on good things. Your time can be spent well. Your relationships can be deep. Your experiences can be transformed. There are a lot of cans in those statements. And when we talk about a can, we are talking about a future and a hope. We're talking about a person of the future. We're talking about a person who doesn't quite exist fully yet. 
We're talking about a person to become. We're talking about a person to change into. And how do we motivate change in someone? Well, there's two common modes. There's the carrot and there's the stick. Have you heard of this idea? How do we motivate someone? Well, we've got two options usually. We can dangle something rewarding out in front, like the carrot in front of a donkey. Or we can whip with a punishment, like the stick that whips the back flanks of the donkey. This is an interesting picture. It's been around for a long time. Cartoonists have used it. Authors have used it. Managers at work use it. Coaches use it. Parents use it. How do we motivate change? Well, in its most simplest form, there's a carrot or there's a stick. One, one is the hopeful picture and one is the consequential one. One is an invitation from, from the inviter. The other is the provoking of a provoker. And there's a time and place for both. And as we finish this series, I just want to name something that I've been noticing for the last two months. I've been noticing this. The flourishing life, it's like the carrot. It, it dangles out in front of us. It's, it's a hopeful picture and it's an invitation. And it's a beautiful vision. It dangles before us asking, do you want this? Do you want to walk towards this? Do you want to be a person that looks like this? And, and that's wonderful. That's a beautiful thing, except there's a really big problem. The problem is, what if we don't want the carrot? See, it's the problem with the carrot and the stick. You have to want the carrot. You have to want what's dangling. And, and just a pastoral thought today, a little bit of a chicken. I just want to say, that we think that this is one of the great carrots, one of the great things to hold up in front of us and to be motivated by. We have tried to cultivate together an imagination for what it is when we say life. Imagine that that's a container. We've tried to stick a sticker on the front and write the word flourishing and label it and say, when we think of life, we think one of the greatest things we could stick on that container is the word flourishing. And let's load it up with all these great ideas of a flourishing life. That is what we've been trying to do for two months. And we've just tried to load up our imaginations to see this thing. What is it that a life could be if it was flourishing? Well, it's all these different pieces that we've been holding for the last two months. But that is not enough to motivate change. There's still two pieces missing. There's still two things that need to be worked through. And they are our desire and practice. See, to change, we can't just load up our imaginations. We can't just think better about something. That's one piece. That is a very crucial piece. We need to think well. We need to have our minds sorted out to think well about ideas. But it's not the only thing that actually makes change happen. To change, we need all three of these pieces in play. Imagination, desire, and practice. For those of you who are more familiar with the Dallas Willard idea, it's vision, intention, and means, but I've rewritten it. So we've spoken about the imagination for a flourishing life. Now I just want to check in about this other piece, the desire piece. Because Jesus has invited each of us to follow him. That's the ultimate question. And so that means each of us have been invited to become like him 
as if he were us. That's what we sang this morning. That's the great quest of life. To become like Jesus if he were us. To have our lives transformed into his image. We, we call this Christiformity. Christiformity is to become like Jesus and to live the life that he offers. That is the great invitation. And that, that is the agenda of this community. That is what we exist for. We exist to see Christ formed in anyone and everyone. That's why we open the doors. That's why we do what we do. That's why we have a church. We believe that this is the great call on our lives, is to see people encounter Christ and start to live lives in his life. That is the great deep desire that gets me out of bed. That is what this is all about. And you can be here for another desire. You can be here for other reason. And that's okay. You are totally welcome. You might be here looking for a wife. Or a husband. You might be here looking for deeper relationships and community. You might be here looking for coffee. You could be here for a bunch of reasons, right? We, we come to this thing, we participate in this thing for a bunch of whys. And that's okay. But at some point, our desire for Christ deformity and your desires for maybe other things are going to clash. And at some point, there's going to be a rub. See, the desire of this place over and over and over again is, oh, would you, would you step into the life that Jesus has for you? Oh, would you, would you become more like him? That's the great quest here. And, and you can be here for other reasons, but ultimately, that's the desire that we carry. And so I just want to check in today pastorally so that that rub may not happen or that, may, that rub may be eased. That's the desire check today. Do you, do you want to become more like Jesus? Do you, do you deep down want to have the life that he offers you? Do you believe that the life he offers is truly a good one? That it is abundant, like he said. That it is God designed in wisdom and in goodness for you. If you don't desire those things, do you want to start to? Do you want to begin to? Do you want to get on the journey? Now from this point, the point of desire, this deeper ache that's in all of us today, this is where the journey will start, finish. It will rise and fall on this because we find ourselves yet again at one of those great moments that happens in church so often we can talk about something over and over and over again, but if we do not actually want to go there, we will not. And here's a little thing. As a community, we're not going to make you either. We're not going to force you. We're not going to coerce you. We're not going to force your arm and bend you. We just want to invite you. What do you desire? It's one of the biggest questions you can keep asking in life. And this has been the echo of the series. Do you want the life that Jesus offers, this flourishing life? Do you want to proceed from here? Do you want to live the flourishing life? Well, if so, how do we track towards that a little bit today as we finish? How do we track towards this picture that we've been talking about? 
How do we go on from here? Well, I want to offer just a couple of thoughts. My first thought is this. We need to live Jesus' life as an archetype. Now, what is an archetype? What does that word mean? Well, an archetype is the first original of something. Um, An archetype is like the mold that then all of the other reproductions are made from. An archetype is the first best example. And Christ is the archetype for a flourishing life. And so if, if we could take Christ's life, if you were to read Matthew, Mark, or Luke for this week, and you were to read it in one go and just get the main snapshots of his life, if you were to put them down, it's like chapter titles. What would be the chapter titles? What would be the milestones? Well, they would be this. Christ's life was one of birth, then his lived life, his walking around everyday life, his death, his tomb, his resurrection, his ascension, and then the sending of his spirit, the promise of his spirit sent at Pentecost. So let's just take those as a bit of a portrait and go, well, how does that apply to us? How does that then roll out into our lives? Here's a couple of thoughts. Jesus has a conversation with a Pharisee called Nicodemus. And in that conversation, they talk about this idea that you must be born again. You must be born again. We actually have an invitation from Jesus to be reborn, to to enter into a new reality. And so just like God was entered into human history through Christ in this birth, so too we enter a new life through a born-again experience. We start something like a birth. Then there's the life. Now this is the putting together of a couple of things. Jesus said he is the way, the truth, and the life. So therefore, if we live on his way, and we live his ways, and we live in his truth, and his truths, we get his life. Way plus truth equals life. Be on his way, think about the things he thought as truths, you'll be living in his life. Uh, The cross, his death, this is a moment that we're all invited to, to, to learn to love as he loved. People often say, oh, well, love is love. Well, actually, scripturally, love is love is defined even further than that. Love is sacrifice. And it was the dying to self that is shown as the great form of love stamped into human history through Christ on the cross. See, our cross is not empty. Our cross has Christ on it. That is our symbol of love. And so we, we learn to love in the same way. We die to ourselves as sacrifice. We die to ourselves for others, our marriages. We die to ourselves for our partners. We die to ourselves for our kids if we're parenting. We die to ourselves and our families. We die to ourselves for our world and we die to ourselves for our workplaces. We live this dying to self nature because this is the way of the cross. This is the way of the deaths. But we don't just stay there. We don't just flay, you know, sort of flail ourselves like that for the rest of our lives. We are also people of a tomb The tomb is our baptism. When we too enter a tomb, we go under the water and we come back up into our new life, resurrection. The Romans, this is just classic Roman stuff here. We have joined Christ in his death. We have gone into the tomb, that is the waters, and we have come out, people of the new life, people of Christ's life, bounding in our everyday now. We are raised into a new reality. We are raised into a new life. Uh, The ascension, the ascension is an interesting piece and it's because in Christ's absence, he then tags in his church. So in the ascension, he says, right, now you are my hands and my feet. And the church begins. It's the birthplace of the church. And so we, we get to participate not on our own, not alone, but in his community and his body. 
with the other saints who are all parts of it for 2,000 years now and counting. And lastly, the spirit, the spirit that was sent. Well, we are empowered people. We do not do this alone. We don't do this just by our own forcing and our own might and our own power. We do this because we're empowered by his spirit. His promise has been fulfilled. His spirit has been sent in Pentecost. We did all this work a few months ago at Pentecost. We're not alone. We're the empowered people. We get to do this with the spirit. And so if you've ever wondered, what is a Christian? Like, what is a Christian? Well, I would just sort of say, I think our job description is this. I think this is what it is to be a Christian, to be a Christ follower, to be an apprentice to Christ. We, we, we take our life, we place it into the archetype of Christ's life, and we go, I'm going to just figure out how to live the way he lived in all of these different ways. I'm going to practice being a person of the kingdom of God, as he, or as he called us to do. I'm going to practice its way. Not, not just the ethics and not just the practices and not just the behaviors of this world and this culture, but I'm going to practice the ethics and the practices and the behaviors of the kingdom of God. Jesus has shown us how to do that first. I'm going to get in step. I'm going to follow him in doing that. I'm going to die to self. I'm going to, I'm going to lay my life down for others for the sake of love. And yet, I'm going to pick up a new life, a new life of new things and new gifts. I'm going to become a new person now. You'll get to participate in a new family, the people of God, the church, capital C, the church, globally, historically. And you will not be alone. You will not be by yourself. You have the great companion, the Holy Spirit, with you, empowering you just like Jesus promised. This is the archetype for a flourishing life. There's actually an entire lifetime's work in these titles here. We're never going to clock them. We're never going to master each of them fully until we take our last breath and we join Jesus in the age to come. These are milestones that are in the grand story that we are invited to live. These are like the new songs in the songbook that we're invited to sing from. This is like the new script to play our part in. And it's this place that we define our ideas of the flourishing life. We find our definitions for what is flourishing and we find our definitions for what is not. And if we have any questions, we, we look to Jesus. We look to Jesus as God and we say, where can I find some answers in that picture first? Where can I find answers from the good rabbi who has come as the way, the truth, and the life? How can I learn from him? How can I measure up to what he has already displayed? Uh, I'm currently doing a bunch of renovation work at our house um, I'm building a downstairs area for um, a ground level apartment for my mother-in-law to live in. So we've stripped the existing old downstairs flat that had been built in the 80s and we've stripped out the garage and we're putting the two together to be this really nice little apartment for her. And we're putting in new subfloors and walls and doors and cupboards and cabinetry. And it means that I've been learning the importance of something really important when you're building. I've been learning the importance of plumb lines and keeping things level. I've been getting my Stanley Fat Max big, big long yellow level out every day multiple times to check that something is plumb, straight and true, level as it should be. Because if I want to finish this job well in a few months time, and I want to be able to stand there and everything is straight and true, 
and the cabinetry that I've brought in fits in the squares it's meant to fit in, if I want to do that, then I have to keep keeping things straight and true now in this early phase. I'm forever getting my, my level out and checking that things are plumb. I'm getting my laser level out and I'm making sure that I've got a line to work to. Or I'm drawing a string line to make sure that I've got this nice straight true thing to put things up against. Because when you're building, you, you cannot actually just guess what's level. You can't just go, I think that's level. You can actually find out. And then you can put a mark and you can work to it. This is exactly how John 10.10 works. It is the great level line for us to measure our lives against. Jesus said, I have come to give you an abundant life. That is why I have come. I have come to show you the great, straight, and true, level, plumb life. And I invite you to come and bring your life to this level. So that is a perspective of looking back at Christ for a moment. Allow me now to just help us to look forward a little bit. Um, as you know, this series has been from a book by John Ortberg called The Me I Want to Be. We've been working our way through the different chapter titles as each sermon. We've been doing our own versions of those chapters, but at the same time we've been drawing a lot from his material. And so it just wouldn't really be a talk in the series if I didn't quote from it today, I suppose. So today I'm going to quote from it. I want to just share an idea called A Glorious Burden, or it's from the chapter at the very end of the book he entitled Ask for a Mountain. John Ortberg says this, We sometimes yearn for a problem-free life, but that would be death by boredom. It is in working to solve problems and overcome challenges that we become the person God wants us to be. Every problem is also an invitation from the Spirit. And when we say yes, we are in the flow. So don't ask for comfort. Don't ask for ease. Don't ask for manageability. Ask for a burden for a challenge bigger than yourself. One that can make a difference in the world. One that will require the best you have to give it. And then leave some space for God besides. Ask for a task that will keep you learning and growing and uncomfortable and hungry. Ask the Spirit for a risk, he says. The Spirit wants to make you a dangerous person. The Spirit wants to make you threatening to all the forces of injustice and apathy and complacency that keep our world from flourishing. The Spirit wants to make you dangerously non-compliant to a broken world. Ask God for a mountain. Ooh, that'll preach. As we consider the last two months, some of us have to realize that we're being asked a challenge. And I just want to encourage you again and say this today. Show up to the quest ahead. Show up to the journey before you. Don't be apathetic and don't think someone else will do it for you. You're invited to walk this journey for yourself. In the words of John Foreman from Switchfoot, who I've never quoted before, this is a first for me. He says, this is your life. Are you who you want to be? This is your life. Are you who you want to be? Yeah. 
That song was just ringing in my heart all week as I was putting some of this together. This is your life. Are you who you want to be? See, see John Foreman is tapping into desire here. Are you actually who you want to be? Are you happy? Are you complacent? Or do you desire something more? Well, I want to say that in the big thought of that question, a life before you, that is a hill to take. That is a mountain to go and take. Go and become the best version of you that God has already put in you to become. Go discover it, go figure it out, go flesh it out, go live it. And, and, and here's another great mountain that will be worth your time and energy. Partner with God to go and see the world flourish. Partner with God to go and see the city flourish a little more. Partner with God to go see your neighborhood flourish a little more than it currently is. See, these are mountains. Oh God, give us some mountains. Oh God, give us our mountains. And so one last thought as we finish. I'm landing with this. We are people of the now and the not yet. We are people of the now and the not yet. We're people of two ages, a now us and a future us. That is how biblical hope works. Biblical hope says, I have faith in the future. And it is held in tension with the now that we are currently living. Yeah, I'm reminded of St. Paul in Corinthians who says, I'm this cracked vessel, this, this worthless clay pot. And then a chapter later he says, I'm a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. And you're kind of like reading it going, hang on, Paul, which one? Which one? Are you the broken clay vessel or are you the new creation? Well, the answer is both. Both. We're both of those things. There's a part of our lives that is broken, cracked, dysfunctional, not there yet. We all have that. And yet, there's also a new creation that is in all of us and accessible to all of us. We're both. We live in the tension of the now and the not yet. The flourishing life is something for now, but it's also something for not yet. You can make the most of today. You can make the most of this afternoon and call it a flourishing afternoon. So one last pastoral word I just want to put here one last thought as we continue the journey into a flourishing life. I want to ask you to do a practice. So remember I said change requires imagination, it requires desire, and it requires a practice. Well, this is the practice I want to call us to in living a flourishing life. I want us to practice patience. I want us to practice patience. Patience is not doing nothing. Patience is not just sitting on your hands and waiting. That's not biblical patience at all. Biblical patience is actually far more active. It's not passive, it's action. It is active waiting. It is being present to that which we are waiting for. It is to be present to God. It is to watch for his leading. And it is, and here's the really important bit, it is to do what we know to be good in the meantime. So in the New Testament, quite often when the New Testament writers are writing to their communities and telling them to practice patience, they sort of have another bunch of things around that portrait. That's often accompanied with pray. While you are practicing patience, pray, be with God. Watch, watch what he's doing. Watch what's happening in people. Watch what's going on. And lastly, do the right things amongst the world right now. You know what is good, do it. So while we are waiting for something, 
Those are the three things that we can still pick up. Be with God in prayer. Watch what he's doing and watch what's going on with other people and do what's good and do what's right even now. These are the things that it is to practice patience, to be a person of the now and the not yet, that that we are not yet, is to be fully aware of the gift of our lives that are lived now in this moment as they are, but yet to be active in waiting, to be present to waiting, to be active in what is to come. And we do that by praying, by watching, and by doing the right things. As a central vineyard, there, there is a flourishing life for us. There is a flourishing life for each of us just ahead of us. There is a person that we are not yet that we are called to be. So let us be patient together. So let us be people of prayer for flourishing. I want to invite you to practice patience in prayer for the rest of the year by praying for people. And when you pray for them, pray that they may um, walk into flourishing. That is to practice patience. Lord, would they walk into flourishing? I'm waiting with them as they do so. Would you take them there? Uh, We want to watch for God's leading of flourishing. Let's get better at naming it and pointing it out when we see it. Today was a day of honoring Libby for her faithful, flourishing work as our kids' pastor. Let's get better at pointing it out and spotting it and saying, I see that. I see that bit of flourishing there. Well done. Keep going. And let us not tire of doing good works now as we write beautiful lives with what we have, waiting for the not yet to arrive in our midst. Let's do the flourishing thing that we can do that we have capable, uh, capacity for right now. Let's do it. And so that's where I want to land our series today. Your life is meant to be one of flourishing. So let's seek it together. Become the God, become, sorry, become the person that God has called you and blessed you and named you to be already. We desperately hope that we can do this. Live the life that Jesus has waiting for all of us. Go and take the mountain. Let's do it together. And the church said, Amen. So to finish, I just want to mention a couple of things that are coming up. And then we're actually going to sing together as our prayer to finish this morning. We're going to just join together and and revisit one of our songs we've already sung today. Because it kind of says in prayer all that I've been trying to say this morning. So a couple of things to mention, a couple of admin things. Firstly, next Sunday we have a guest, it's Nikki Bray. Nikki is going to be coming and sharing as our guest speaker. Uh, Nikki is actually Libby's mum. So we've all seen Libby earlier. Well, Nikki is Libby's mum. And um, she is awesome. She's the co-founding director of Family Life. Some of you would have been away on their uh, weekend to remember marriage weekends and, so, and things like that. She's a coach. Uh, She's a terrific communicator, um, and it's just going to be absolutely awesome to have her here next Sunday as our special guest. So don't miss that. Bring along someone. It's going to be great. And then for the rest of the month, for the rest of August, we have a series called Stewardship. We're going to be exploring the practice of resource handling. We're going to be exploring what it is to handle what is in our hands when it comes to our finances. We're going to look at Jesus' vision for money. We're going to be talking about how it is we can be greater stewards of our money. And um, we're going to be hearing some great practices with money. Uh, With the current living crisis, uh, cost of living crisis that's going on around all of us, we just figure this is a really good time to talk about this. So we want to help with some uh, good practices for handling our resources. So we're going to explore the practice of stewardship. And then after that, the month after that, we've got another series called Whaka Papa. This series is going to be looking at the bigger story of the church for 2,000 years and our place in it. 
So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the great big historical church. We're going to talk about the vineyard and its part in the church. We're going to talk about Central Vineyard and its part in the church. And we're going to celebrate a couple of those things along the way that are our whakapapa, our, our people that have lived this beautiful history that we are living the story of and continuing today. So those are the two things we're going to be doing for the next two months. We're going to be talking about stewardship. We're going to be talking about the big story of the church, our whakapapa together. So I want to invite you to uh, participate in those things. We're changing gears a little bit out of the flourishing life. We're going to talk about a couple of other things now, uh, starting next week with Nikki Bray as she comes to visit as a guest, okay? It's going to be fun. Cool? Cool? All right, good. Let's stand. Itu, worship team, where are you? We're going to finish our gathering today by singing together one more time.